If he beats me, you write me a check of one pound. Yeah? If, if I beat him, you give me your purse against Tony and your TV rights. Yeah. No. No. So, don't worry the about deal with the deal is anyway. Okay, keep going what you keep doing what you're doing. Good so luck with your career. It. Exactly. Good luck for your career. And I hope Tony knocks you out. I know he won't. Tony knocks you out. Tony knocks you out. Tony knocks you out. I hope Tony knocks you out. Threats about anything that went on in the free fights and all the news conferences. Negative. I'm good. I beat Polly. I left with his belt and his girl. Adrian, congratulations on winning the title. Polly, come on in. Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, whew, if Joshua and Fury aren't fighting, we have no idea what to look forward to. Um, normally, I'd be a bit more upbeat when I, when I do these sorts of things, but I wanted to start off by, by giving my best to, to Boxing King Media. So just for context, Boxing King Media is, I almost feel like he was a substitute for behind the gloves, right? So it was generally we had the the big three, right? IFL, Boxing Social, and behind the gloves. Seconds out kind of floats in and out. And so Boxing King Media sort of came and filled that spot that Michelle Joy Phelps had until she fell out of love with the sport and drifted towards OnlyFans. And content was good. Like you can't slate what Boxing King Media do. I like it. It's not overly controversial, but it's not bland either. It's, it's good, and that approach has been able to bring out some really good insights. I just remember the interview with Kel Brook, which I think is one of the high watermarks of interviewing, actually, because you know, you've got that rare moment of honesty, clarity, and you got to see in that instant what a fighter goes through when they retire. So have a lot of time for him. We've communicated, you know, I mean, we've messaged back and forth. I think that's generally what happens when, when you kind of meet people and you go, right, your content's cutting through, it's connecting, so is yours, cool, keep doing your thing. You know, that kind of mutual respect and acknowledgement and praise. And so from what I'm understanding, there was a car deck incident a couple of days ago, and by the grace of God, he's been revived, and he's in recovery now, so that's good, because it gave me flashbacks to Frank Beckles, a guy who I miss a lot, Frankie B was an incredible person, had a lot of fun with him. Um, and these are the times where you do get a bit emotional. And the reason you get emotional is a lot of what happens in boxing is a game. The fights are real. Everything else around it's a game. No one wants anyone else to die. No one wants anyone else to fall ill. It's not that sort of endeavor. It's not that real. And it should never be that important to you that you wish it ill on somebody else so you feel it because in a way we're kind of soldiers in the same struggle so what I can say and I say this from the bottom of my heart is I hope he makes a speedy recovery and when it's safe to do so I hope he's back doing what he does best and doing what he loves and so with a heavy heart I'll carry on with the podcast and talk about Saturday because as boxing fans we were cheated on Saturday 
We were cheated by Sky. We were cheated by Boxer on Saturday. Um, that's close to being one of the worst cards I've seen. Like, that's the definition of just, just, a, just a terrible card. Horrible, horrible, horrible card. Embarrassingly so. And people can say, yeah, don't watch it. So I paid my subscription for that. I'm a stakeholder. I have every right to watch what's on that screen. I've paid for it. Given the choice, I want to put my money down for that. And we're going to start with the main event. Go back to the episode. I can't remember where I said it. And I said, if the people around Savannah Marshall, Clarissa Shields, and Franchon Cruz had five brain cells to rub together, what they would have done is they would have said, look, Clarissa is top of this tree right now. How about you two, Savannah and Franchon, you fight for whatever belts are going at this point in time. If it was all the belts, cool. You two fight each other. That way we can compare the performances between, I mean, the winner and what Clarissa's done, right? We, we, we've got something to talk about. And it's a logical step up. You fight one person, then you, the, the winner faces the, the best woman on the planet. They've done this backwards. So now think about this. Less than a year ago, Savannah Marshall was completely outclassed, technically, tactically, physically, was dominated by Clarissa Shields. I don't want to hear talk of a rematch. It wasn't close. It wasn't hard for Clarissa Shields in there. It wasn't. That was like an enhanced sparring session. You go from that to then fighting again for an undisputed title at 168 pounds. And you fight a woman to, to all intents and purposes, is only famous for fighting Clarissa Shields. That's who you fight. You come off a defeat, a comprehensive defeat, and you fight for undisputed. And at no point did anyone say, are we not devaluing these belts? Are we not making these belts into a joke? And we're going to blame Eddie Hearn for this. Once Eddie Hearn made this undisputed thing a big deal, right? Because before, undisputed meant that you, you, you were unquestionably the best in your division. When Lennox held the, the three belts, we can debate whether that's undisputed or not, but when Lennox held the three belts, we generally accepted he was the best out there. People may have said, yeah, he's got to fight Vitaly, but Vitaly wasn't who he went on to become. When Mike Tyson had all of those belts, you were like, he could fight Evander, but Evander's not ready yet. So when Mike had him, there was no question. We now look and we go, oh, who did Franchon Cruz beat to get those belts? Who did Clarissa Shields beat to get all of those? I have no idea. I have zero idea. And even if you told me, I probably wouldn't care. The only undisputed quest I care about is Natasha Jonas. But that comes from a position of bias. I'm not going to lie. It's a position of bias. But that's the only undisputed fight in the women's division right now I care about. Every, all the other ones, just it's just a gimmick to, to make something to be more important than it is. But the truth is, at 168, who the hell's there? Who the hell is there at 168 pounds? Tell me. Who? Your top five super middleweight female boxers. <laughs> I have no clue. Top five middleweights. <laughs> I have no clue. Top five light middleweights, Savannah Marshall. Uh, Hannah Gabriels, but she takes drugs. So let's give her the same energy we're giving Conor Ben. 
which doesn't seem to have been the case. Hannah Gabriel seems to have got away with it, but like you know, people have admitted, Conor Ben's famous and they don't like Conor Ben. Hannah Gabriel is a reasonably attractive woman, so it's hard to shoot her down. And then you go down and you go, um, I'm sure McCaskill had some belts. Um, Chantal Cameron's got belts. No idea who she's really beaten to get them. The only other one we can talk about is Katie Taylor. We know who she's beaten because it's been well televised and credit to her. But look how long I've talked and not one ounce of credibility has come out of this. And Sky put that on as a main event. But let's just talk about the actual fight itself. It was a definition of insanity. So basically, it was the same Savannah Marshall doing the same thing that didn't work against Clarissa Shields against someone who was definitely not going to allow that style to prevail. Right? So we saw this fight that was an absolute mess. Now, Franchon Cruz, at best, would make a good drugs police officer. Man. She can go in there, wrestle people down, handcuff them. She's not, she's not a particularly good boxer, no matter how much the commentary team tried to say she's surprisingly technical. She's terrible. That's what she is. She's terrible. The gimmicks were embarrassing. The silly sunglasses, the hair, talking about the outfits, the fashion. Um, let me word this carefully. She brought a bit too much nonsense to the sport and to the country that we don't care about. Don't care about the stupid red sunglasses. Don't care about the hairdos. Don't care about any of that. And I don't even think it's her expressing her personality because when you see her on videos recorded by other people, she's not like that. And it was just jarring and it was grating when she did the national anthem. I thought that was unbelievably stupid because it was like, right, if she loses, this is going to be the thing people remember. This is the clown who sang the national anthem and basically lost. So Franchon Cruz comes in, and we know she's going to spoil, and she's going to bully. And I want to give her credit, though. I don't think there's a stronger woman in boxing than Franchon Cruz. Um, she had, that, she had that, that, that gorilla back, that properly gorilla back, just wide. And you could see that Savannah Marshall struggled to cope with that. And so I looked at her, and she's just going to do what she does. She's going to try to bully, intimidate, and make contact with whatever she can with her fists, right? Really basic agricultural stuff. You'd have thought that her corner would produce something better, but who cares? And then you had Savannah Marshall doing that weird, um, we're going to make it look like it's old school, but it kind of looks like it was learned. I don't even know, man. It doesn't look like a real boxing style. I don't know how to explain it. Because unless you're a shelf stacker, it doesn't work. It's not taking anyone out. So, so what I said, and, and look, I like Sav. I like Savannah Marshall. I think she's a good, good athlete, good talent. But this idea that you can jab, I mean, dip your head off to the right, stay low, come up and throw a right hand every time, and it's going to work is ridiculous. And that was the only trick she had. There was no, how do we dissect Franchon Cruz? You know, when we step back, do we leave an uppercut in there? Do we leave a hook in there? Do we then step back, throw the straight right? Well, where was that decision-making? I'm not saying that that wasn't what was practiced. It's not what I saw in the fight. In the fight. I didn't see that. It just looked, it looked terrible. That's the way I can describe it. It looked terrible. 
that whatever that style is, however it's explained and justified, and I don't believe you have to be a real boxing person to know that that wasn't working. You know, that wasn't working. And people tell me, ah, but Savannah won by majority decision. The thing is, the judge that had a draw was probably the closest to it. He, that was probably the most representative scorecard on the night. It felt like a draw, and it shouldn't have been a draw. If you look at Savannah's pedigree and her attributes and her ability, she could have stood bolt upright with two hands up and just one two the life out of Franchon Cruz Dessert. She could have brought it down to real fish and chip boxing and just gone bang, 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 and busted her up. Cruz hasn't got a great defense. She could have just busted her up. So the question is, why didn't she? I can't answer that. I wasn't in camp. But that was a horrible, 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 horrible performance. Horrible fight. Horrible main event. Real black eye for boxing. At a time when you had two main events competing with each other. And on the other side of the Pennines, you had, you had Dalton Smith announcing himself. But we'll come on to that later. So now here's the problem. Clarissa Shields has options. She could rematch Savannah Marshall. She could go down and fight Natasha Jonas. Clarissa has big money options. And she kind of calls the shots because she's the number one in the division. But I don't think she sells in America. Otherwise, she wouldn't be here trying to sell herself, would she? None of them would be here if the money was in America. So that lets you know that she's not a draw over there. But no one wants to see her fight Savannah Marshall again because we believe it'll be a one-sided beating. So Savannah showed nothing in this fight to show that she'd learned from the previous fight. Nothing. And so what does that leave? It leaves Savannah Marshall like, there's no fight the public want her to get involved in now. She's 32. Now what? You go down to 160 and fight who? You already fought the best in the division. It's done. 168, there's no one. You go up to heavyweight. What's the point? She could box a heavyweight the way she is now and probably win. So she's stuck, and there's nothing left to do, absolutely nothing left to do. And they can talk as much about, oh, I want to fight um, Clarissa Shields again. No one wants to watch it. You heard in that crowd on Saturday night, no one even wanted to watch that fight. Yeah. This idea that loads of people in this country want to see Savannah Marshall is a falsehood. Yeah, it is. And I'm not saying that to be horrible, I'm just saying it is what it is. You know, and it's probably best we move on with the rest of the card. Um... Natasha Jonas fought Candy Wyatt, right? Uh, did I see Candy Wyatt box Kirsty Babington? I'm sure I did. And that told me what I needed to know. So, never thought Natasha Jonas would be in trouble. That's the definition of a stay busy fight for Tasha. Makes her a two-weight world champion. And I'm glad that she gets to insert these marketing buzzwords in her profile now. Because this should have happened a long time ago. We should have been backing it. I said this from day one. Natasha Jonas was the, was the woman's boxer that was going to take this to another level. And I said the next wave that would follow would be led by someone like an Ellie Scottney. And I stand by that. Um, but good, good for her, man. I'm glad that her and Joe are getting the love and affection they deserve because they've had to do it the hard way. Natasha could be undisputed at 135, 140. One of those divisions she could have been undisputed if people had just shown her a bit more respect and said, actually, there's a lot of value still in Natasha Jonas. But other people had their own agendas. Simple as that. So I'm happy for her. Who don't want to see her fight next, Terry Harper? No. Care very little about Terry Harper. Care very little about Steffi Ball. I think that's a cowboy operation from top to bottom. 
Um, I'm, I'd happily say to either their faces, their clowns, far as I'm concerned, and Joe's right to avoid them. I think if you're Natasha Jonas now, just chill. If Clarissa wants to fight, that's your last fight. Ride into the sunset and become a great, well, it's great at anything she decides to do after that. Do you know what I mean? That's what I would do. Like, what's the point in, in hunting down people who've shown no interest in wanting to fight you? Yeah, I'd love to see her fight Chantal Cameron, Katie Taylor. I don't think we're going to see those. Because I don't think Hearn's going to do that. Because Hearn will say, yeah, fight them, but you've got to fight Terry Harper too. You know how Hearn always has to weasel stuff in. So I can just see the most viable option being stepping up against Shields and then riding off into the sunset. On a side note, let me word this carefully. Clarissa Shields' physique looks significantly different now to how it did even a year ago. Almost as if someone's had the word with her and said, look, if you really want to compete with everybody, even though you are better than everybody, you might need to, you know, um, turn the gas on and start cooking properly. That's what it feels like. Uh, people say, ah, oh, she's just training better, she's just training harder. Um, this is someone who's been an elite athlete for 12 years minimum. Yeah, There's not much more you could have done for her from a training perspective. And at that point, I'll say no more. But in terms of Tasha Jonas, world's an oyster. If she is going to retire next year, then she doesn't need that many fights. She just needs to pick the fights that matter. And you know, I'm not going to give her a hard time because she's come up the hard way. Simple as that. That's where my bias comes from. She's been the underdog so long, let Natasha Jonas have her time in the sun. But, but something that was of minor interest was kind of, they gave us two super middleweight fights on Saturday night on the Sky Card. So they gave us Zach Chelly versus Mark Jeffers. Hopefully it's Jeffers and not Jeffries. And then they also gave us Callum Simpson versus Boris Crichton. And felt a bit semi-finalist. So semi-final-ish, where the two winners will probably face off, or I think the two winners of that would have to face off before they face Heffron, in my opinion. But I think one of those two guys against Mark would be a good fight. I think it's hard. Is it harder for Jeffers because Jeffers is in Heffron's gym? So it might be like a Callum Simpson, I don't know. Or maybe Mark vacates, does something else, and then they fight each other. But I was... I was impressed with Simpson. Um, he probably deserves a bit more of a profile now at Super Mid. And, you know, I'm biased because I still miss Jermaine Brown on that platform. And I felt having watched Zach Chelly struggle against uh, Mark Jeffers, which I found strange, I, I almost felt like Jermaine would have had a better shot at it. Because what you need with someone like Jeffers is actually some real fun, foundational boxing, just one-twos, movement one-twos. Zach just couldn't get the work rate going to to drive Jeffers backwards, and I think that's what cost him, which is a shame, as people know I like Zach Chelly. I think Zach's got a lot of good qualities about him. I think there's a point where he's just almost got to be a bit more analytical in how he approaches fights and say, there's a certain amount of punch volume I have to throw. Yeah. And then once I get to that volume, the, the power will obviously be situation dependent, but I have to outwork these guys in order to get these wins, especially as we start moving up the levels. So I thought that was interesting. So hopefully we get a resolution to that situation and then we can throw Mark Heffron into that mix. 
but outside of that, wasn't yeah, it wasn't really a card that you know whetted the appetite. And then neither did what we have in Sheffield, unfortunately. So here's the thing: I think even if you took the best of both cards, you still have a substandard card. So so the matchroom card on a Saturday felt that definitely felt like a like a next gen card in its purest purest form, like a like a showcase card, right? And they put that up against Sky, and in terms of credibility, probably did more. Because you had Dalton Smith um, knock Sam Maxwell clean out. Um, impressive performance by Dalton Smith. I think Dalton Smith is good. Um, but it's interesting that Dalton's 26 and we're putting him in the same conversation as Adam Azim, who's 21. And you almost wonder, are we rushing Adam Azim? Because Dalton's kind of had his ups and downs in his career already. You know, he's, he's looked amazing. Then we've been like, ah, I'm not so sure. Then he's looked good again. Yeah, like, oh, I'm not so sure. And now he's coming good. So I know it's Sam Maxwell, and you can poke holes in why Sam Maxwell's not a super credible opponent. But you've still got to deal with him, and he dealt with him in the way that you should do. And maybe we're rushing Adam Azim a bit. Maybe we need to see Adam Azim in there with someone who's who's not going to let him have his own way. But then again, Adam Azim could actually be that special that. He's ready for levels above Dalton Smith. But ideally, you'd like to see those guys fight pretty soon so we can actually get some resolution to that. Uh, thought Hopi Price did well against James Beast Jr. Sets up an interesting story with Dennis McCann because Hopi Price did it one round sooner. But is it the same James Beach after a few defeats? My argument would be probably not. I know he didn't do the same strength and conditioning program he normally does, so that might have been a factor too. But take nothing away from Hopi Price. At a time where we needed him to get some stoppages, he started to do some more damage. So onwards and upwards for him. They had the Janae Boston fight against Ryan Amos. God, that would have been a tough fight. Amos is just made of rock. So credit to him for taking on that fight. Um, I think Ryan Amos is as tough as they come, but he got the win comfortably. So onwards and upwards for him as well. Yeah, so as you can see, it's a... It's just a, it's a showcase card. They had the Brazilian lady on there as well. And Eddie was talking about her fighting Caroline Dubois. And it's like, stop, man, <laughs> stop. If you believe that, you'd have put her higher up on the card. But maybe here's where Eddie missed a trick. Because I look at, I always look at that region and I go, you could pick most of those kids off the, off the M1. So you could go down to Nottingham and get Carl Haywood, rematch him with Ryan Amos, and you'll get a good fight for TV. You could get Brad Goldsmith. I know he's from Coventry, but he trains in Sheffield. You could get Brad Goldsmith on there. You could get guys like Callum Blockley on there. There are loads of guys you could have got from that M1 corridor to make that a compelling card. And I feel that was probably a missed opportunity if you're just going to have a showcase card like that. But, yeah, Saturday wasn't particularly great from this side of the Atlantic. And then we go over to the other side of the Atlantic and... <laughs> Whew, we've reached an interesting point in the career of Jared Anderson. So Top Rank have a, a show, and it's definitely a showcase for Jared Anderson, right? And they have it in Toledo. Um, obviously, Toledo's produced some decent fighters. Robert East is probably one of the more modern examples. And Charles Martin comes in as a last-minute replacement. And that's a real shame, because it wasn't that long ago Charles Martin was rebuilding for world titles. But clearly, he's at that point in his career where he's just trying to get the rounds where he can. And so he jumps in with Jared Anderson. 
And most people expected this to be a real showcase performance from Jared Anderson. No one expected Martin to, to last the 10 rounds. That's why I guess it was 10 rounds, because it's like, well, it's not going to go 10. And apart from dropping Charles Martin in the third, yes, he outboxed him. Now, now, let's not debate whether Jared Anderson's a more skilled fighter, better ring IQ than Charles Martin, all those things. But you saw in that fight how important size is for these heavyweights. Charles Martin just looked a whole league above Jared Anderson physically. It makes you wonder how tall Martin is and how tall Anderson is, because they say Charles Martin's 6'5". He made Anderson look about 6'2". And if Jared Anderson is 6'2", he's going to fall into that Chisora trap where he's, he's almost too small to put a dent in these big guys. But he'll look good against smaller guys or more fragile guys. But those guys like Charles Martin, who... When, they, when Charles Martin's got that bit about him, he's got some resilience to him. But, you know, bear in mind, Joshua dropped him twice, comfortably. So if you're benchmarking it against that and how Ortiz came back from being dropped to, to deal with him too, maybe that's showing that Anderson hasn't got that, that weight of punch that you need to be dangerous as a heavyweight. So he might have to go that Holyfield route where it's just, I'm going to stay on them and just keep hammering them with punches until their will breaks. And if he does that, then, God, that's a different kind of career. Because if you remember, he doesn't want to be in it for long. That's the thing. He doesn't want to be in it for long. But at this rate, you wouldn't put him in with Fury. You wouldn't put him in with... I wouldn't even put him in with Chisora now. Maybe give him like a, like a Takam just to see where he's at. The same way we do with Yoka. Give him Takam and let's see where he's at. Maybe even give him Yoka and say, all right, one of you two is going to go up and one of you two is going to go down. But I think we, we, were all, we all had Jared Anderson as like the best of the rest, right? He, this is the guy that's going to come through and do some damage. And now we've got to walk that back and go, um... We need to see some more from him. Maybe he needs to mature. My big concern with him is kind of the crying and the overt emotional displays that, that he's involved in. I know we live in a world where you're supposed to be comfortable in your vulnerability, but you're a fighter. And you're fighting big men. You're in the highest weight class. So people look at you to be the man. And there's just certain things in your demeanor you have to have to be the man. And he wasn't displaying them these last few weeks when he was crying with Roy Jones. And then when you see him kind of getting emotional, his mum had to hold him. And you're like, is this why they call you Big Baby? Hopefully not. But it's only going to get harder for him. So you wonder, does he need a break from the sport? Sometimes, and I say this about boxers all the time, if you've been doing it since you are young, at some point you need six months off to go and be yourself. Go and discover yourself. You may realize, actually, I don't love the sport. Or you may go, you know, I miss it so much. I'll never take it for granted. But you need that time to understand yourself, to understand what life is, just to live a bit. And I don't know if he's had that yet. And that's, that's generally how I feel. I feel he's too small. Um, he's too small with his current style to be good enough to, to win a world title, unless everyone just disappeared overnight, then maybe. But as things stand, I wouldn't be overly confident. He's not... He's not the guy I'd bet the house on right now, of all of them. Like, you wouldn't want him in with a Michael Hunter, a guy who's as mobile as he is and has a boxing IQ too. You wouldn't want those two guys going at it because that might not end well for him. 
But there's something I want to touch on, um, just real quick. And it's a lot of times as fans, we we moan because we don't get the fights we want when we want them, right? We go, oh my god, like you know, Saturday Saturday was terrible, and we get really down about boxing. And then we realize that Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson are in talks. Then we realize Canelo's going to fight Baby Charlo. Then we know that Josh has got to come in August and probably fighting Dillian White. We know Fury's going to do something between August and December. We know Wilder has to do something. Um, Thurman's going to come back against Ugas, for example. We've got Spence Crawford. Like, it starts to, to thicken up a bit. Aziz versus Boatsy. Like, and this could all happen in the space of three months from now. So we're going to get a lot. Um, Craig Richards still to come back. Uh, the young guns like Jamie Shakiva. Uh, we've got Dubois Usyk to come. There's a, sometimes we've got to just stop and look at all of that and go, we're not in a bad place this year. You know, despite It's just that some of the fights we really wanted aren't going to happen. But if those don't happen, there are other fights that can happen. So I'm happy about that. And sometimes I think I forget to tell people the things that put a smile on my face. But that definitely does. Um, what else puts a smile on my face? Um, the fact that young Courtney Bennett is now 3-0. and So happy for that. Shouts out to Alfie Warren. Um, you know, strange career Courtney's had so far. He's had to fight Phil Williams twice, which is never great. Like, I don't think... I think everyone should just be one and done with Phil Williams. He's, he's too hard a man. And I don't think it's necessarily that it's the best people who stop him. It's the people who have his kryptonite that stop him. So it's a hard one. I think as long as you look good against him and you look dominant and he's not trying to take the piss with you, you you've done all right. So my take on the whole Courtney thing is I'm enjoying watching him just learn off the grid. Now, like this pro-life, he's, he's learning. So when the opportunity does come, he's grateful because, look, like this is an ex-GB kid who's, who's having to sell tickets himself. So he's having these conversations about seeing how many tickets he sold in his first fight versus the second and his third. And now he's understanding that he's got to push himself a lot more, look for opportunities, start networking, building things for himself, because he is his own business. And all that stuff that was all theoretical like two years ago is real now. So I'm enjoying watching him do this, because when he does sit down with a televised network, well, with the televised promoters, he's going to do it from a position of understanding and strength and knowing his own worth and value. So that will be good. Um, so I'm always, I mean, grateful... I hear the show was good on Saturday. I, I do say to people, just go to one of these Warren Boxing Management shows if you want Small Horde. They're, they're good. They're raucous. Um, similar crowd to a Goodwin show, but a little bit different as well. I think it's... Uh, I always look at Steve Goodwin shows as London and the home counties, whereas this one feels a more, lot more like London, London, Not, which doesn't mean one's better than the other, just different demographics. Um, so what else has been happening. Ah, the Conor Ben thing rumbles on. Uh, let's summarize the Conor Ben thing really simply. Found Clomin in his system, said the lab did it, turns out the lab didn't do it, and he didn't sue them, then found a new bunch of clowns to show up and say it's because he couldn't get rid of the Clomiphene quick enough. Now, imagine being married And you're caught in bed with your mistress by your wife. And you say to your wife, I didn't cheat. You just came home too early. If you'd come home two hours later, you'd be none the wiser. That's essentially what Connor Ben's trying to tell you, Kat. Like, yeah, um, 
yeah, the Clover Fiend was in me, but it was in me because it hung around longer than I wanted it to. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and if I'd been able to metabolize it quicker, Vada wouldn't have caught me. So I'm not guilty based on that. Yeah, it was in me, and it shouldn't have been in me, but it was in me, and I'm, I'm upset that it was in me because it shouldn't have been in me. But we're upset for different reasons, you can. That's crazy, isn't it? That's absolutely crazy. But they're going to keep hammering at this door until UCAD give in. And I hope UCAD don't. I hope they don't fold. And I hope they go, right, you're really going to, you're going to see this one out. And they can drag this out for as long as they want. They can make him stay out the ring for two years if they want to. I hope they do. Um, final thing. Do not have Aziz versus Boati in Brighton. Do not do that. You will kill both guys' earning potential on the biggest night of each man's life. I'm not saying this is a lifelong rivalry. It's a bit manufactured because deep down those guys respect each other. So it's a bit manufactured, but it's still a fight people want to see. Don't have it in Brighton. Don't use this as a vehicle to build up two fighters that have no connection to the place. Just do it in London. Do it in Wembley if you have to. Well, ideally do it in Wembley, actually. And on that note, I want to sign out. Um, food shopping to do and all that sort of stuff. All I can say, guys, like I said, all the best for Boxing King Media. Thoughts and prayers with him. Um, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy because, like I say, this is just boxing. It's something we enjoy. It's a hobby. For most of us, it's not our life. And on that note, I'll say take care.